going to read from Philippians chapter 4. This is a, a, a quick little verse. It's a, a little command that Paul gives uh, to uh, the people of Philippi. Philippians 4.8. I'm going to read it real slow so we can soak it in. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Amen. What we think about matters, doesn't it? What we allow to come into our minds matters. And, you know, my dad's a farmer and rancher, and the, the, the goal, well, not the goal, but part of the deal is you want to keep all your cattle inside the, inside the pen or inside the, inside the fence. And, and when it comes to living a life of focus, the hard part is keeping not things inside. Usually it's keeping things out, right? Keeping things from creeping in. And so there, there's a gate of sorts that we can allow things into our minds, that we can allow ourselves to think about these things, but we really have a lot of holes in our fence, don't we? Uh, because we're bombarded all the time with options and opportunities to think about anything other than what Paul is listing right here in Philippians 4, chapter 8. We are in a series called The Power of Focus, and uh, the last few weeks we've looked into that, and today and next week we're going to get very practical, uh, because if, if we can't, if this thing doesn't land on the actual practical ground, then this sermon series may not have the stick or the effect that uh, it needs to have. And so you're going to hear some practical things from me today, and I'm going to try to couch these not just in terms of this is how you live a better life, but this is how, this is the life that God is calling us to, okay? Uh, when uh, uh, I was in seminary, I read some of the writings of John Wesley, who's kind of the point person that, that God led the Methodist movement through. And sometimes they would write these little booklets or treatises, and the treatise would be... Uh, you know, not, not some little catchy title. It'd have a two or three word title and then they'd have a little colon after it and then there'd be about 37 words after that. So I want to show you the title to my sermon today. The title is this. Five big distractions that interfere with your focus on God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, His kingdom, His will, His calling on your life that also interfere with your focus on other people, your spouse, your children, parents, neighbors, and the person on the fringes. That's the title to the sermon today. Can we show that? There it is. Okay. Five big distractions that interfere with your focus on God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, His kingdom, His will, His calling on your life that also interfere with your focus on other people, your spouse, your children, parents, neighbors, and the person on the fringes. Okay. That's the title of today's sermon. Just thought it'd be kind of fun. So. Distraction number one. We're going to do five different distractions. And uh, if the shoe fits, wear it. If the shoe fits for your kid, make them wear it. 
Uh, if shoe fits for your neighbor, well, pray to God about making your neighbor wear it, okay? Distraction number one is entertainment. We live in an entertaining world. Entertainment, the entertainment industry is, is big, and for good reason. Why? Because we get bored, don't we? And we want to be entertained. You look at uh, the value of video games today. It's off the charts. You look at social media forms such as Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, YouTube, or the movies or shows that you watch on TV or sports games. Some of those are more entertaining than others, aren't they? Fellow Red Raiders. Sorry, I just had to say it. The pull to be entertained is very powerful, isn't it? We, we can easily be pulled into being entertained. Entertainment gives us a breather from the mundane, ordinary burdens of life, and that can be good, can it not? Like most things, the, the things that God created and gave to us, most of them are good. We just don't know how to use them right. We don't know how to use them in correct proportion. We do too much of these things, too little of these. We ignore these. We get consumed and addicted to these things over here. We're not stewarding what God has given to us. Entertainment bombards us and tries to get into our minds. Now with these little mobile entertainment distributors that every one of you probably has one right now is my guess. As there's probably not a person. If you don't have one of these, then we need to give you some kind of medal if you don't have one of these in church today. These, these go with us everywhere we go and they always call in our names, it seems like. They're buzzing us, they're ringing, they're dinging. They're saying, hey, hey, check this out. Entertainment can be excessive with these devices. The Israelites in the Old Testament, God rescues them, delivers them out of Egypt across the Red Sea, and they go all the way, and God brings them to Mount Sinai to this place of worship. God said, I will lead you here, and you will worship me on this mountain. The people get to the mountain, and Moses goes up to meet God, and God is giving him the law, and the people are camped out at the base of the mountain. And we get to this place in Exodus chapter 32, verse 1, and here's what happens. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us, Who shall go before us? As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. The Israelites ended up turning to false gods. And I believe that part of the reason is because they did not have a a mature faith in God. And part of that was because when you have a mature faith in God, you're able to keep your focus for an extended period of time. But they got bored, didn't they? They got bored at the base of that mountain. And when we get bored, we start to think, well, you know, maybe God's not really here for me anyway. Maybe, maybe this Moses guy has disappeared. Maybe my life is just a little boring right now. And maybe I need to go do something to make my life more entertaining when God is really simply calling me to wait on him. 
Anybody tracking with me? Have you ever had a time in your life where God just says, you know what? You just need to be bored for a while. My kids, and I imagine if you have kids, your kids do the same. That They grow up with this little assumed meter that if it's boring, it's bad. And if it's entertaining, it's good. Why do they grow up that way? Because we've conditioned them to, to grow up that way, right? And so I'm learning more and more to, that when my kids say that's boring, to say, good, you need to be bored because that is a vital part of your ability to grow up as a person. Boredom is absolutely necessary if we're going to be who God wants us to be. So if your life is boring right now, if it is mundane, if it is just every day, I want to invite you to dig deep and ask God, God, what are you doing in me right now that I don't see? I am so bored. And I'm just tempted to go entertain myself in one of a million different ways and distract myself and waste my life away on things that seem to be frivolous or even harmless. Let us wait for God in the boredom. Be bored and do it well. Parents, you have permission when your children are bored to say, good, you need a good dose of that. It's good for you. And so we have the antidote to this distraction of entertainment is that the realization that entertainment, while can be good, will not save us. Entertainment did not die on a cross for you or for me, and we cannot be entertained into God's good graces. Distraction number two, very similar to number one. Distraction number two is news. A lot of stuff going on in the world, isn't there? Politics, sports, also available through these little portable information devices. What's going on in the world? There's a caravan, a caravan down south of here. There are wildfires in California. What's the latest going on in the, in the White House? Who do the Kansas City Chiefs play this week? They play the Rams tomorrow night, Monday night football. You're good there. We want to be in the know, don't we? The know. Again, being in the know can be a good thing. God calls us to not be ignorant of what's going on in the world. But where does it stop? At some point, you have to say, I'm going to put down all the ways that I can access the news. Because we, very few of us get the paper. Anyone still get the paper? Raise your hand if you get the paper. Praise God for you people. You know, one of these days we may come back to the paper because we may just want to walk out, grab that thing, go sit at our chair or at our table, open it up, read it cover to cover, and know that you're done. You can throw it in the recycling bin and go on with your day, right? Well, nowadays it's endless. It doesn't stop. And it's always breaking news. Is it ever really breaking news? Not very often. Breaking news. There's a, uh, 
acronym called FOMO. Who knows what FOMO means? Raise your hand. FOMO means fear of missing out. It's this disease that's affecting our teenagers these days. They're so afraid that they're missing out on this party that's that 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 they're being invited to and they, or they didn't get invited to or something's going on over here and they don't want to be on the outside. Fear of missing out. So there's this anxiety and this frenzy. We all want to be in the know, don't we? Because when you're in the know, you're more accepted, all that good stuff. Where does that stop? I think that people who do news know that the way to get people to pay attention to them, and you are paying your attention to them, is is to create conditions where drama happens. Okay? Drama happens. And it doesn't matter if it's Days of Our Lives or ESPN. It's all the same junk. I was walking, I was, I was in a restaurant the other day and I, I looked at the TV and of course some sports guy was talking and there's this question on, on the marquee kind of underneath the, the guy talking and the question is, are the Packers watchable anymore? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Are the Packers watchable? Why would they ask that question? Because they know that by asking dumb questions, we'll just kind of get distracted and be, ooh, are the Packers watchable anymore? What does that mean? Are they watchable? Questions. Questions produce drama. Now, some questions are good and holy. Most questions are attempting to lead somebody down a path. Do you know who asked the very first question in the Bible? The very first question in the Bible was asked by a serpent that we know of as Satan. He comes along in Genesis chapter 3, 1, and it says that the serpent was the craftiest of all the animals that the Lord God had made. And the serpent said to the woman, here we go, question mark. Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? questions set people up quite often they're not always innocent open-ended questions beware the snags of drama that want to eat away at your hours and your minutes and therefore your days and in your years who on their deathbed wants to say i spent 15 hours a week watching the news The antidote to this distraction of news is to realize its goodness in place, to pay attention to what's going on in the world, but to exercise some kind of self-discipline to realize that, that being in the know will not save you. Being in the know will not forgive you of your sins. Being in the know will not substitute for what Christ has done for you. There are some things we need to know. There's a bunch of stuff that you don't need to think about in your life. Distraction number two, the news. Distraction number three. I call this one achievement. You could probably fill in some other words words for it but achievement 
most of us love to achieve. We love to get things done. Some of us, that comes in the form of writing that down and checking off that list. We love to be doing. It gives us a sense of accomplishment and worth and value. We've been conditioned to do this ever since we were little kids. And ever since, you know, the sports world makes this happen. School makes this happen. Work makes this happen. These are not bad things at all. But, man, it feels good to accomplish something, doesn't it? And it feels good to be recognized for what we do. Those are good. Those can be good and right and holy. Again, where does it stop? We continue to do that until we get to a place where we have an identity that says, I am what I do. It's like the air we breathe in our culture, isn't it? Do, do, do. These Israelites that God rescued, we talked about them a little earlier. God brings them out into the wilderness. And God gives them this command. He says, six days you shall gather it. Talking about the manna that has fallen on the ground. He says, but the seventh day is a Sabbath. And there will be none provided for you on that day. And then verse 27, what happens? On the seventh day, some of the people went out together and they found none. This workaholism, this achievement doing, it's been around for a while, hasn't it? All the way, at least since Exodus. We're always wanting to gather and gain. It makes us feel secure. It makes us feel like we are somebody. And if we live our lives as doing nothing but achieving, then we're being distracted. We're being distracted by what God is calling us to really focus on. These Israelites were doers. They were slaves for 400 years. You bet their, it, that, was, that identity was literally probably beaten into them. That you are what you do. And even though they were freed people, they couldn't bring themselves yet to trust in God. Have you thought about the doing that you do in your life? Is it ever a reflection of a place in your heart that you're not trusting in God? Maybe God's just saying, you just need to cease. You just need to be, be still. Instead of trying to make these things happen, why don't you just trust in me? And so the antidote to this distraction, again, is to realize it's goodness in its place. But also to know that we cannot earn God's love by doing. Our doing will not forgive us of our sins. Our doing will not save us. I love it that we are not called human doings. We're called human beings, aren't we? Sometimes we don't live like human beings. I want to give you permission. Give yourself permission. Look in the mirror sometime this week and say, I give you permission to be a human being. I give you permission to be a person of sacred value and worth. Not because of what you have done, but just because you're a creation of God. Oh, that we would live like that. 
Distraction number three, achievement. Distraction number four, the past. The past. There are three categories of ways that we get stuck in the past. The first is what I call the glory days mentality. The, better, the older I get, the better I was, right? Can't believe how many times I tell you to my kids, when I was a kid, glory days. We can get fixated on the good old days, can't we? And if we think too much on those days, we might be missing out on what's going on on this day. Back to these Israelites. Exodus 16.3 says the Israelites said, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, there can't be a whole lot of glory in the past for people who were in slavery, right? But here they are because they don't want to live in the present. They don't want to trust God in the moment. They get fixated on the past. How often does your past keep you from focusing on the present? The second way that we get stuck in the past is with regret. Regret tends to have to do with our unwillingness to forgive ourselves. We regret things we've done. We regret things we didn't do that we wish we would have done. We all have them. How do we deal with that? Some people can't seem to let it go. Regret keeps us from focusing on the present. A third one is resentment. If regret has to do with our unwillingness to forgive ourselves, resentment has to do with our unwillingness to forgive someone else. And if you don't forgive someone else over a period of time, it begins to build up this thing called resentment. And resentment is like a cancer that will destroy you. Holding on to unforgiveness... It's like holding on to a bomb. And so when we have regret and resentment, we're fixated on the past, unable to live in the present. The antidote to these is to immerse ourselves in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Come back and eat of this table as many times as you have to until your soul is absolutely convinced that you are forgiven of your sins and until you're free to forgive others of their sins against you. Then you will be free from your past. The other antidote is gratitude. Gratitude helps us to see the value of the present so we don't get stuck in the glory days of the past. What are you grateful for today? If only those Israelites were grateful. Distraction number four, the past. Distraction number five, 
the future. The future. There are at least two ways we get stuck on the future. The first is what you might call wishful thinking or obsessive dreaming. You have a dream, you have a vision, you have something in the future, and it's exciting, or at least your imagination of it causes excitement. This is kind of like the glory days mentality, but you're just going in the other direction. Both of these are ways of, of often can be ways of, of coping with or avoiding the pain or the boredom of the present. It's an escape. One of these days. Nothing wrong with having hope. But how much of our minds is focused on the future? to the exclusion of this very day that God has made and given to us. The second category of getting stuck in the future is the category of worry. The big question of the worrier is, what if? Some people are much better than others at thinking through the myriad of possibilities out there of what if. I, I confess, I'm not smart enough to know all the what-ifs. So I don't even try that much. Some people are wired to do that. And that can be a gifted thing, but it can also plague you. Jesus says this, Matthew 6, 34. Do not worry about tomorrow. Do you see that? Do you think he's giving a suggestion there? Or do you think he's giving you a command? I think we need him to give us a command, don't we? We need to hear him say, Do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. God has given you this very day. Let us tend to to this day that doesn't mean don't be a planner you have to go work this out with the holy spirit okay you can't blame me for any of this okay if you don't plan what's for thanksgiving dinner till thursday morning do not blame me it's not my fault how often though do we get stuck worried about the future how often are we thinking about the future? How often are we thinking about the past? How often are we thinking about what's going on in the world? How often do we get in, caught up in entertainment? How often do we get caught up in these to-do lists? The five big distractions that interfere with our focus on God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, His kingdom, His will, His calling on our lives, and that also interfere with our focus on other people, our spouse, our children, our parents, our neighbors, and the person on the fringes. This focus stuff is tough, isn't it? The antidote to being stuck and fixated on the future is faith. Placing our faith and our trust in God to provide and to be present with you. 
These are the ways that the enemy will tempt you, will rob you of your joy, will try to stick, try to trick you into focusing on anything other than God. If you can resist these distractions, you will do well, my friends. The fact that we have just talked about them today means that hopefully you're more likely to identify them. And when you find yourself getting distracted, don't beat yourself up. Just pull back, recenter yourself, and go on. This takes time. It takes practice. Okay? Be graceful to yourself. We need grace, don't we? What if we were a focused people? What if we could just let the whole world around us be crazy while we stayed at peace with who we are in Christ? James chapter 4, 7 says this, Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's the two-sided coin here, right? We submit ourselves and we bow down to God. And at the same time, we resist all the works of the devil, which are mainly distractions. Next week, we're going to look at five healthy habits, kind of the positive of this, that cultivate focus in your life. It's not enough just to say, don't do these things, right? If we're going to not do these things, we have to replace them with something else. I hope that you can join us next week as we continue on in this series. But for now, I want to go back to the Scripture and finish with this. Philippians 4.8 Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Let us pray. Lord, would you just draw us unto you? Help us to fix our eyes on you. Help us to resist the enemy and to think on the things of God in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.